From the Amazon to the Himalayas, God is accomplishing his mission. Welcome to Amazon to the Himalayas podcast. Stories and conversations with the global church and for the global church about the mission of God in the world. And now here is your host, Paul Aiken. Welcome to Amazon to the Himalayas podcast. I'm your host, Paul Aiken. And in this episode, we're going to be having a conversation with Ross and Dina Frierson. Ross and Dina currently serve as missionaries with the IMB in Wales in Western Europe. Prior to serving in Wales, Ross and Dina and their two children, Tim and Masha, served in Russia, where they devoted their time to evangelism and church planting. Ross and Dina are currently involved in church planting in Cardiff, Wales, and I'm really excited for you to hear from them today. Ross and Dina are dear friends of ours, and we have had the the privilege to kind of follow their work and their ministry over the last several years, and I think you're really going to be encouraged by the conversation today. So, Ross and Dina, welcome to the podcast. Paul, thank you so much for having us. We are excited to get this opportunity to share about what the Lord's doing. Awesome. Well, I mentioned in the intro there about a little bit about your family, but why don't you guys just start by telling us a little bit about you and your family? Yeah. So um, we are from Missouri, I guess, in the States, but we've been outside of the United States for so long now. We seem like we're nomads. Ross and I have, like you said, two kids. Our daughter's 13 and our son is 11. And yeah, we've been serving here in Wales uh, for the past few years and just seen the Lord do lots of really cool things, just both in us and around us during these last few years. Awesome. Dina, thanks for sharing that. Dina, I also appreciate you you being part of the conversation. You know, we have a lot of folks who are listening in who are curious as to what life is like on the mission field. And oftentimes we hear from a lot of men and a lot of guys from their perspective, but we don't often get to hear from, from a mom. And so I would love for you to share with our listeners, what's it like being a mom on the mission field? How would you describe that? Yeah, well, I think being a mom on the mission field is great. And my perspective might be a little different because when we went on the field, I wasn't a mom and I became a mom during that first term. And so I've, I've never really been, you know, done sort of the typical American mom thing. This is really all I know. But I think that just this lifestyle allows us to probably spend more time together than kind of a, a typical American kind of schedule does. Um, I feel like we sort of minister right alongside our kids. Um, it's not like we have, you know, grandparents and things like that down the street. And so whatever we're doing, they're doing too. And so we just bring them right along. And I realize, you know, sometimes that can have its challenges, but I, I really see it as a privilege to be able to just kind of work alongside our kids and and do what we get to do. Not to mention just the opportunities that we have to travel and, you know, just the um, unique worldview that they have being raised outside of the States. Uh, That's really helpful. You know, you mentioned earlier that you guys are from Missouri and we talked about how you currently live in Wales, but previously you lived and you served in Russia. And I would just love for, for either one of you to kind of share that story. How did you get from Missouri to Russia? 
So I'm going to keep this story short, Paul, but it's an incredible story of just God's faithfulness and just his grace in our life. And so often this is the case, it's much more clear in hindsight, but when we both graduated from university, we went into school teaching and we, in the first couple of years of, of that, you know, being married, newlyweds, teaching high school, uh, just sense that God wanted us to surrender our life to cross-cultural missions. And when we finally did that, when we surrendered and, and took a step of obedience, we went to Southwestern Seminary in Fort Worth to pursue the educational requirements. While we were there, we met uh, another couple, Ricky and Brandy, teamed up with them, and we were praying with them about going somewhere with the IMB as a team, so being appointed together and going as a team to engage an unreached people group. Uh, especially at that time, uh, people groups were were the primary focus, and we wanted to go somewhere where there had never been a team and where there currently was no team. And God led us both kind of independently, really, His uh, Ricky and Brandy and Dina and I to begin to pray about a people group in central Russia called the Udmurt. The Udmurt were a people, are a people of roughly half a million. They live in kind of the Ural mountain area of Russia. And there were no churches amongst the, the Udmurt people, no ethnic Udmurt churches there. And we were appointed together with Ricky and Brandy to go and, and serve the people of Udmurtia a republic, autonomous, somewhat autonomous republic within Russia. And so in about this time of the year, 2009, we moved there, uh, pursued language study, both Russian and Udmurt. Once we had some fluency, began the work. Awesome. So I'm always fascinated to hear people's stories of how they kind of get from one place and go to another place. And so you mentioned there kind of how you guys went from Missouri all the way to Russia, but I would be curious for our, our listeners to hear, you know, you talked about learning Russian and you talked about a people group where there was no churches uh, among them. Uh, so tell us a little bit about the work. What was it that you were doing there? What was your goal, your focus and your work there in Russia? I love the story in Acts of Paul and Barnabas, their first missionary journey. You know, you see in Acts 13, they go to um, Pisidian Antioch and and they begin the work of evangelism there. And I think about our time, looking back at our time in Russia, in Udmurtia, as that we began just to, to go out. It was predominantly rural type context. I mean, villages of maybe 100 homes on average. And we had this great resource about the time that we moved there. There had been a Russian Orthodox priest who had translated the Bible from Russian into Udmurt. And we were able to get copies of that printed for the first time in the history of the Udmurt people. They had scripture in their mother tongue. And we were able to take those scriptures out and distribute those, just put them in the hands of, of people who lived in villages, share the gospel with them. And so primarily our work in the beginning was that of evangelism. We would just schedule in time during the week. The whole first term we were in, in full-time language study, but when we weren't studying uh, formally the language, we were out in villages just distributing Bibles, 
sharing the gospel um, with people. There came a point then where we we met a lady named Marina and her husband, Aleg, and they both were hungry to study the Bible. They wanted to know, they had questions that they had been asking. They had been asking Orthodox priests. They had even found um, a group of Mormons that they had been asking questions of. And they really just wanted to study the Bible. And we were able to sit down with them. And that opened up a whole new kind of network of people who were interested in, in learning the truth of scripture and, and figuring out who is Jesus. That's awesome. And so you guys were doing a lot of evangelism in those early days, but eventually that, that evangelism led to some disciples and then led to a church. Are you able to, to share a little bit about some of that? I would love to. Yeah. The, that initial kind of Bible study, if you fast forward from, from the first Bible study a year and a half later, there were a group of 14 baptized believers who covenanted, made a covenant together to be a local church. And one of the most amazing stories from our time in Russia was on that Sunday when we gathered together to covenant together to be a local church, we had visitors. We had a family come, husband, wife, and five kids just, just showed up. We were meeting in a home. They had heard that there was a, a gathering in that home, and they were refugees into Russia from eastern Ukraine. This was in uh, towards the end of 2014. Conflict had started between Russia, Ukraine. They're on the on the border of those two countries, and this man had been a Baptist pastor in eastern Ukraine and had to flee with his family, and they were resettled in this village in kind of the, it would be kind of the market town of the, of the county, so to speak, where we were meeting. And he had heard about this group of believers. And he came on that Sunday when we were making covenants with one another to be a local church. Today, that man is pastoring that church. They've multiplied. They've planted two other churches in neighboring villages. And it's just an amazing story of God's goodness and his faithfulness to move people, sometimes through great conflict, um, through much suffering, but to work in a way that his kingdom is extended. Amen. Praise the Lord. I love hearing stories like that about just the ways in which God is is moving and the ways in which the church is being planted in places where, as far as we know, maybe it has never been planted before. And so praise the Lord for the work that he did in and through you guys and others there in Russia. But now you guys have transitioned away. You're not living in Russia anymore. You're now living and serving in in Western Europe. You're living in Wales. So maybe tell our audience a little bit about the people, the culture, and the state of the church where you are in Wales. Okay. Yeah, I'll talk a little bit about um, the people and the culture. You know, when when we moved here, we found that people were just really friendly. They were super welcoming. Of course, it was, you know, a welcome break to be able to um, speak to people in, you know, our first language. So that was really great. We found that the people here are 
um, compassionate and that they really, you know, love things like social justice and activism and things like that. They're very concerned about the environment and taking care of the environment and, you know, just being like a, a good neighbor and a good citizen, things like that are really important to them. But even with that, it was clear that this is definitely, you know, a secular sort of post-Christian culture here. A lot of people, uh, maybe their grandparents had had gone to church, you know, maybe they had been taken to church, you know, for Easter, Christmas as a child. But Christianity is something that they feel like, yeah, you know, that's been tried in the past. That doesn't work. You know, I, I don't really have room in my life for um, that sort of thing. And so, yeah, we just noticed that um, the the state of the church was in and had been for many years before we arrived in, in rapid decline. Yeah, I think about Paul, the the difference between Paul and Barnabas going to the Antioch in Acts 13 compared to Barnabas being sent by the church in Jerusalem to Syrian Antioch in Acts 11. And when he arrived, it says in Acts 11, 23, that he saw that the grace of what the grace of God had done, and he was glad, and he encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. And while the church in the United Kingdom, and especially in Wales, has been in great decline, I mean, think about the, the revivals in this land in the early 1900s, 1904, 1905, to now the state of the church today, which we can talk about in just a bit. I, I mean, on one hand, it's it's sad, but on the other, it is really different than the context we were in in Russia, where there were no churches out amongst the Udmurt people. And then we came here, we partnered alongside a Welsh, so a national church planter, pastor. His name is Di, his wife is Michelle. They've been so welcoming to us and have just allowed us to come alongside of them to work to see a new church planted in the city center or in the center, at least, of, of Cardiff. And I, I just think about that picture of Barnabas going to Syrian Antioch, and he was glad. And that was my response when we came here, just being glad. at the While the church, we want to see many more churches. We want to see an emphasis of church planting just renewed in Wales. But I guess my, my prime, I mean, my first response was just, glad at the evidence of God's grace in this nation. No, that's good. That's helpful. You know, we hear a lot about the United Kingdom and, you know, it's kind of popular for today for people to watch shows like The Crown or to follow the royal family, but people maybe don't know a whole lot about Wales. So what's kind of one thing that you guys could share with us that's kind of interesting that people might not know about Wales? Yeah, there are lots of actually really interesting things about Wales. I did, I knew very little about this country before I moved here. So, like I said earlier, we everybody here, especially in Cardiff, speaks English. But if you travel to the north, northern Wales, then you hear a lot of Welsh up there. And in fact, um, our kids go to um, just public school here, but it's compulsory that they study Welsh as a second language and into high school. So they definitely have learned more Welsh um, than we have. And Ross mentioned um, the Welsh revivals that happened in the early 1900s. So even though the church is in decline, there's definitely like um, some leftovers from that. And so one thing that's interesting is that rugby is a really big sport here. People love rugby. And 
There's a huge stadium here for the Welsh rugby team and 70,000 people will come into the stadium to watch a rugby game. Um, they begin every game by singing a couple Baptist hymns um, before every rugby game, just kind of a leftover from the revivals. And I don't think it means anything to most of the people who sing those songs, but, uh, but it is kind of cool to go to a rugby game and belt out a Baptist hymn at the top of your lungs with 70,000 rugby fans. Yeah, that's awesome. I, I did not know that they were that they were kind of the pregame, the warm up songs for Baptist hymns. You know, I, that might be that might be the only place on the planet that that's warming up to a sporting event with Baptist songs. But hey, I think so. Definitely yeah. a unique about Wales. So I appreciate you guys sharing that. All right, and, and and Ross, you kind of alluded to some of the work that you guys are involved in there now uh, with some church planting and those kinds of things, but. I want you guys to kind of kind of hit the pause button for a second, and I want you to kind of reflect back on on the last two to three years. You know, you've been serving there for a little while now. When you think back on your work over the past two to three years, what is maybe the most encouraging thing that the Lord has done? You know, there are people around the world who are praying for you, and they're praying for your work. So tell us a little bit about what God is doing. Well, again, coming in to Wales and there, when we came to Wales in 2017, there weren't any other IMB workers in the country. And so we had really been praying that God would give us national partners to work alongside of that we could team with towards the, the task of seeing disciples made, uh, baptized, grouped in, in a church form. And just God's goodness and his grace and bringing us to Di and Michelle and being able to work alongside of them and to see then a group that was meeting in their home transition then to being a local church. And again, that there was the process of covenants and, and just identifying each individual, identifying with, with the others and just saying, we want to be a local church together. And that process was at times really difficult, but looking back and just seeing God's faithfulness in that has been so rewarding. And then I think about just this month, um, the fruit that we've seen from this local church. I mean, we've seen people put their faith in Christ and be baptized, but then this month we had a young man who came to us a year ago to do uh, an internship with us for church planting for pastoral type internship. And our church sent him out earlier this month to Mozambique to be a church planter, a missionary in the northern part of that country. And I mean, we're a, we're a small church and they've we've just gotten behind him and not only want to see him sent to the nations, but others as well. And I, I mean, I just have been in awe really of God's goodness and his faithfulness to use a church like ours, Redeemer Church Cardiff, in such a way. Now, that's really encouraging. Maybe because we've, we've kind of alluded to, to the church, we've kind of talked about it some, but could you just briefly tell us the story about how the church got planted and then kind of maybe what the makeup of the congregation is? Sure. Yeah. So we live in a community in Cardiff that is extremely diverse. And um, there are a lot of refugees. I'm sure everyone is aware, you know, heard in the news about refugees coming into Western Europe. 
And so when a refugee makes their way to the UK, they're settled in different um, cities around the UK, but Cardiff is one of them. And then they're specifically oftentimes provided with temporary housing in, in the community where we live. So there's um, a lot of refugees from uh, Northern Africa, from the Middle East. And so our the Welsh pastor that we met when we moved here uh, really wanted to reach this community where, where he was living. And he had begun a group in his home that would meet on Sundays and eat lunch together and study the Bible. And that group was uh, made up of mom and her daughter from Syria, um, a family from Uganda, a single mom from Albania, um, just all over the place. And yeah, we were able to to join in um, with that group and pretty soon began to see that we were running out of space in the living room uh, where we were meeting. And so we needed uh, we needed the Lord to provide another way if, if we wanted to continue to, to to grow. And he did, Paul. He provided in an amazing way. There was uh, an old Baptist chapel church building here in our community. The community where we live is called Splot, and it was Splot Baptist Church. And they had dwindled down to four members who would meet there on a Sunday. the The youngest of the four was eighty four years old, and that. I mean, unfortunately, that's just a story that's happening across this land. You're seeing church buildings close, being turned into restaurants or um, homes in some cases. And long story short, that building was just given to us. We've been able to move into it, take it on as our own, and we didn't have to pay a dime for it. Yeah, that's amazing. Just the Lord's provision. You know, you're there to, to try to help somewhat be a cat to kind of get uh, churches started, to see disciples formed, to see the gospel take take root, even though we know it has previously with the revivals. We know that, as Dina mentioned, that the church really is in decline. And there you are, you know, meeting and gathering in a home, and then it's growing and it's growing. And the Lord, in his grace and in his providence, provides a new Amen. location, a church body, a church building for you guys to meet and gather as a body. So just really, really encouraging. You know, one of the things I love about y'all's work is the way that you guys partner with churches back in the States. And so I would love for you just to share a little bit about what does it look like for you guys to partner with churches? How are some churches in the U.S. able to be involved in the work that you're doing there? Yeah, that is such an important part, really, of, of the work. And there's obviously different levels of partnership. I mean, there are many churches who are praying for us. We've we've seen this year the Lottie Moon giving. I mean, giving to the IMB has been really encouraging. And, and then we have some partnerships where they're involved in a very strategic way in the work here. They're I mean, there are two churches in particular that have been really helpful in that kind of strategic work. One is Covenant Life Church in Tampa, Florida. The other is First Baptist Church in Hot Springs, Arkansas, where the the pastors of those churches have seen the importance of engaging in cross-cultural work in, in an effort really to disciple their congregation, to disciple their church, and to lead many, Lord willing, in their church to the nation's. And so those churches have engaged, they come on trips, and we're just praying that this global pandemic will will pass and, and we can engage in those ways again. But they've gotten to know the, 
the church here and the community here. And so they have faces that they can, you know, they can picture the people of the community when they pray. And they've just been an incredible encouragement to me, but also to our local church here and to the community. And I think they've been really struck by the diversity of the community. I remember one of the services, they were here on a Sunday and gathered with us to worship. And on that Sunday, there were roughly 60 people and we had 20 different nationalities represented in that number gathered with us. And they just see how strategic this place is to reach the nations, to become once again, ascending nation. So I'm really grateful for each one of the Southern Baptist partnerships that we have in the United States and and how they encourage and support and really hold the ropes well. Well, that's great. I love hearing those kinds of stories. I want to ask a, a little different question. You know, we've talked about some of the, the good things and the, and the encouraging things that the Lord is doing, but I know that that each and every day is not, is not easy, that there are a myriad of challenges that you are confronted with on a daily basis when you consider your work, even when you consider what it looks like to live life uh, where you are. So I would just love to hear from you guys. What would you say is the single biggest challenge in your work? And I know it can be hard to kind of try and narrow it down to one. So I'll let you share one or two if you need to, but really try to think through, yeah, what would you say is the, the single greatest challenge that you face? Mm. Yeah, well, here in Wales, we have just so many of the comforts that, you know, you all enjoy in the States, too. And that was a change for us, you know, coming from Russia, we had to get used to, you know, not having some of the things we were used to in America. And, you know, just the culture was so vastly different that in some ways, um, moving then to Wales seemed kind of easier, just in the sense of living here is easier, day-to-day life is easier. It's just more comfortable and convenient. But we've learned that there are easier places to live than others, but that ministry is difficult um, all over the world. And one of the barriers that we've noticed, um, especially for our brothers and sisters in Christ here, is that while this culture is very tolerant, you know, they want to be tolerant of all different kinds of people and ideas and things like that. Um, One thing that is regularly shamed is just Christianity. And if you're someone who, you know, is a true follower of Christ and says that you believe, you know, that the Bible is God's word and that um, it's the authority in your life, that is something that you're you're probably going to be at best ignored and and maybe you know mocked and and shamed for such a belief. So we're always asking um, for boldness, you know, that Ross and I would be bold in our witness, but also that we could encourage our brothers and sisters here um, to be bold in their um, witness for Christ, knowing that they might be met with rejection or be mocked. But that um, if that's what happens, that, you know, they're in good company as we read through the New Testament. Amen. That's a that's a good perspective and a, and a humbling perspective uh, at the same time. You know, you, you guys mentioned the church there, uh, this meeting, Redeemer Church there in Splot. And I would just be curious, as you guys have gathered uh, and met and started rubbing shoulders, well, maybe at a, in a socially distanced way these days, but with uh, brothers and sisters there in the church, what would you say? the brothers and sisters there in that local church are teaching you guys. Obviously uh, you're teaching them all kinds of things as you teach them the Bible, as you model for them, what it means to follow Christ. But what would you say you're learning from them? I think 
one thing that really stands out to me is you think about the different one another commands that we see in the New Testament that that belong to the church, that are commands of the church. And in many ways, our brothers and sisters here have modeled that so well, the, the loving one another and caring for one another. And they do that in, in ways really that aren't, I mean, it's just normal, just normal living, I think for them, but for us in many ways, it was really radical. I mean, and, and probably part of the, the reason that we're able to see that so clearly here is that just the communities are set up as we live close by. I mean, everybody really who's a part of our church lives within a, a five to 10 minute walk of the church building. And so we just see each other often and are able to support one another and have a lot of meals with each other throughout the week. And I've learned a lot in general about what is a healthy church just in our, in our time here. And I've, I've learned a lot from the brothers and sisters here about what is Christian hospitality and what is it to love and serve one another in a way that puts others before yourself. Um, praise the Lord. That's encouraging to hear. The next question I have for you guys is a little bit more personal, but would just love to hear your thoughts. Um, and here's the question. Day after day, week after week, and month after month, what keeps you there in that place? And why are you giving your life to this work? I think that, I mean, for me, Ross might have a, a bit of a different answer on this, but for me, it just, it just boils down to obedience. And so it's just God's grace. Like I know that for us, for right now, this is obedience. And I think that, you know, what we're meant, what we're called to do as Christians is, you know, abide in Christ and walk in the spirit. And so as we walk in the spirit, just obey what he, what he tells you to do. And for right now that's here. And I pray that that day by day, he continues to give us the grace to walk in his spirit and discern his will for our lives. And if the day comes where it's not here, that we will, you know, follow him to wherever the next place is as well. But yeah, it's just a, it's just a a matter of obedience. I think I know that's you know, not too exciting, but I just think that's what it what it boils down to for each one of us as Christians. Yeah, and I I would say that as well, but I would probably come from the the angle of saying just a daily pursuit of being content in Christ alone, and and just as Paul talks about in Philippians chapter four that he's he's learned the secret of Christian contentment, being content in all circumstances, and. I think that the key really to that is the strength that Christ gives us, as we see in Philippians 4. But I want to be in a place where I can say I fear God more than I fear man. And and I, I fear really living a life outside of his will and outside of obedience. And I want to know daily the contentment that only he can give. And that means obeying. That means doing what it is that he's called us to do wherever in the world it, that he calls us to do it. And it's just a daily pursuit, a daily battle for contentment in Christ alone. I appreciate you guys sharing that. And I think you're right on, Dina. There's there's no reason to feel like that's a, 
a wrong or boring answer, you know, but both of you guys, I think o- obedience to the Lord, it, that's, that's key. And so I'm humbled to hear you guys say, yeah, we feel like, you know, it's, it's not always easy. It's hard, but we're, we're trying to be obedient. We're trying to be faithful to what the Lord's called us to do. So thank you for that. All right. Last question I have, and you guys can answer this, you know, one of you can answer it or, or both of you could answer it if you'd like. Uh, and here's the question. One thing you want everyone listening to this podcast to know or to do? I would probably just say that I'd like people to know that I'm not special. Um, a lot of people, a lot of times people put missionaries on a pedestal, but I'm actually just an extremely average person. I'm, my flesh is pretty weak. I'm really not that courageous. And so if you maybe sense that the Lord might be calling you to, you know, to overseas mission work, but you think, actually, I'm not that strong and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not that special, then you know what? That's good. He might actually be calling you because I think um, in the Lord's wisdom, he calls the weak and um, so that he receives glory for the things that are done. So yeah, don't think that missionaries are a certain kind of person or a certain level or anything like that because we're normal, average, fearful people, just like most everyone else. I would add, Paul, just I would ask people to genuinely seek God for what role he wants you to play in growing and multiplying healthy churches in all nations. And obviously there are multiple needs are just many, many needs and roles to be played from support to giving to, to going, praying. And I think it's good just to constantly on a, well, on a regular basis, be evaluating, am I where God wants me to be in order to maximize my life for getting the gospel to the nations and seeing healthy churches planted in all nations. I hope you enjoyed hearing from Ross and Dina today. Please pray for them as the Lord brings them to your mind. Pray for their family, for the work of their church there in Wales, and for God just to continue to do a mighty and unique work through them there in Western Europe. To hear more conversations like this, please subscribe to this podcast and be sure to follow us on social media. Thanks again for listening to Amazon to the Himalayas. Thank you for joining us on Amazon to the Himalayas. This podcast is brought to you by the Billy Graham School at Southern Seminary. Please visit our website, www.sbts.edu bgs, where you can subscribe to the show and learn more. Also, if you have found these conversations helpful, please leave us a comment or a review and encourage your friends to subscribe to the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter for more. This is Amazon to the Himalayas podcast.